Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Thanks for putting up with our scheduling changes of late. Uh, we've had a busy last few weeks, uh, what with our trip to Chicago for the Trek convention last month. We've recently moved into a new studio as well, and that has been a process of uh, acoustic conditioning and tuning up around here. Plus, uh, I've been sick as a dog recently, but we are getting the train back on the tracks this week with a new supplemental episode. On our last show, I spoke with comedian Asterios Kokonos about Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, a.k.a. the funny Star Trek movie, and our consensus was, yeah, it holds up. Still a really funny film. It's probably safe to say it's the most funny that Star Trek has been, but that's not necessarily for lack of trying on the part of Star Trek. Star Trek is often cute, uh, sometimes whimsical, uh, sort of the sci-fi franchise version of the laugh where you just you blow a little air out of your nose. But it's rarely hilarious, uh, assuming that it even wants to be. Is that something inherent about Trek's premise? Can you present a world free from inequality and tell important cautionary tales about our current social ills and still bring the funny? Is humor a difficult concept? Whatever the answer may be, Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica have a very funny Star Trek podcast called The Greatest Generation, and they are back on the show this week to talk about Star Trek IV, gently making fun of your favorite Trek moments, and their latest nationwide tour, the Double Dumbass Tour, where they drill a few holes in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. I should mention that we talk about the second leg of their tour in the interview, which has already mostly passed at the time that you're hearing this. But if you want to catch Adam and Ben on the road, they do have two more stops on the tour currently. They'll be in Austin, Texas on May 21st, and they'll be performing a much belated show in San Francisco, California on February 2nd of next year. You can find more information and links to tickets at greatestgentour.com. We'll get right to that, but first, hey... Are you watching the new Star Trek shows on Paramount Plus? Are you excited for the debut of Strange New Worlds out now as of this episode's release? If so, why not tune in for our live recap and review show, Discoverage, which happens every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central on twitch.tv forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D. Every week, my co-host Ella and I are joined by special guests, and we talk about the newest episode of the latest Star Trek show. We're going live tonight, Thursday, May the 5th, uh, a little early, actually. We're going to start up around 7.45 p.m., because we've got a lot to cover. We were off last week, so we'll be talking about the last two episodes of Star Trek Picard, Hide and Seek and Farewell, the finale of Picard Season 2. And then at 9 p.m. Central, we're talking about the titular premiere episode of Strange New Worlds. Go to twitch.tv forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D or follow us on Twitter at E-I-S-T-P-O-D to get notified when we go live and tweet at us during the show to join the conversation. That's it for me. I'm sending you back in time to hear my conversation with Adam and Ben. Brush up on your colorful metaphors. And with that, let's get underway. I'm talking with Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica of the Greatest Generation podcast. They're currently on their double dumbass tour where they're talking about Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. It's great to talk with you guys again. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for having us. Uh, how's the tour been so far? Bad. Just just a series of disappointments <laughs> just... over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've been having a great time. We, I think um, I think we've got four shows down and like eight more to go, something like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's like 
One of the things that we have experienced, I think, uh, over and over now is that when you beat the dead horse of making jokes about a single Star Trek movie over and over again like this, it can get a little, it can get a little challenging to find the funny in the movie. And, uh, yeah. you know, we're, I, I think that like we think of the show as being a combination of like roasting and celebrating some of our favorite movies. But like by the end, it's, it can be like, oh man, do I really have any, any more funny things to say about Khan Noonien Singh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys have a script, right? But are you finding sort of like new observations and kind of fresh looks at it every night? We don't have a script. Oh, there is um, no script at all. It is. I feel like the difference between like making something from a recipe and cooking. Yeah. Like we have checkpoints in the show that we want to hit so that we aren't doing a three hour live show. We want to get a, yeah, right. we want to get a nice sear but, on uh, the film every time. But outside sure. of that, like the, the way that we get to those checkpoints is different every night. And I feel like we're putting out a fresh show every time we go out on stage. So, so like, it's really not scripted. Yeah. There, yeah, there'd be nothing worse than having to go out and do the exact same things, uh, <laughs> the exact same timing every time. With me specifically, you don't want you don't want that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that you get nights that you guys feel like you're really on, and nights where you feel like, oh boy, two two more hours of this. <laughs> <laughs> I felt on every time. I mean, small sample size, four shows, but it's felt really electric to to be back out there after more than two years off of the stage. It's been super fun. It's got to be great to be on tour finally. Um, with yeah. things going back to a version of normal. Um, what was the pandemic like for each of you, and, and did it affect uh, the, your output at all? Your podcasting. I would say that uh, we were quite lucky compared to a lot of uh, podcast friends of ours at the outset of the pandemic, in that we started as a show that we recorded remote. When when we started mm. our show, Adam was living in Seattle, and I was living in Brooklyn, and. So we were really used to the workflow of never being in the same place and recording over over internet and stuff. And that was fortunate. Uh, I think we were both very worried that like the 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 grand shift in the world might, you know, destroy people's interest in listening to what we were doing. And we were yeah. we felt very lucky that that didn't wind up being the case. And so I think like uh you know, uh, it's a, uh, we felt very privileged to like have some continuity in that, in that sense. I mean, the, I think the pandemic was really hard for everyone for a variety of reasons and everybody's subjective trip through it had its own slings and arrows. And that certainly was true for us, but from a making the podcast standpoint, it was, um, you know, that was like one thing that actually stayed pretty stable in, in our lives. And, um, in that way, I'm very grateful for having had it, you know, where it was when, when this all started. Um, the one thing that we didn't get to do was go out and tour. And um, we were having a conversation recently about how much, like, at the beginning, you know, I, I was really missing it. And I was really sad because we had to cancel a bunch of shows at the beginning. Yeah. And Adam was in a very different headspace, but I think we are both returning to it with a lot of relief and enthusiasm and Good. trying to set it up in a way that is safe for everybody that's coming to the shows and stuff. I'd have to imagine that everybody makes that deal with themselves about when they're going to 
go out again, you know, when they're going to attend a big live event again. And this is probably, uh, for a lot of people, their first live event, you know, going back out. So I think it's great that uh, you guys have had a good response up to this point. Are you both in L.A. now or are, are you both Los Angelinos? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But we're in such opposite parts of L.A. that I might as well be in Seattle. <laughs> oh, yeah. We continue to do the show remotely for that reason. I haven't gone anywhere since this all started. Uh, what's traveling like right now? Uh, I think the act of travel is the same as it's always been. I mean, the yeah. the airports and the train stations and whatnot and the hotels are the same. I think what's been really interesting is seeing the differing levels of, of careful that different cities mm. are uh, during this moment in the pandemic. Like, I was... Uh, We've been in Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and Toronto now, and they all are a bit different in how careful they're being yeah. at this moment in time. And that's been uh, not unexpected. Like I, That didn't surprise me at all because L.A. is really a place that does its own thing in that regard. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how Portland and Seattle do it. Uh, the last time that we talked, you guys were in the second half of TNG on the show. And since then, you've gone on to cover DS9 and Voyager. Has it really been that long? I think so, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't remember ever talking to you. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. Well, uh, <laughs> in your defense, though, uh, Adam has the memory of a goldfish. So. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. All> right. <laughs> that's why every show that we do on tour feels like a new experience to me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what, yeah, we were talking about uh, TNG. You were just wrapping it up, and I was asking you if you guys were going to go ahead and do the other shows. And, of course, here you are now. Yeah. Uh, and you're covering uh, the new Paramount Plus shows as well. Uh, with The Greatest Discovery. So what's the plan? Do you go all the way through to the end of Enterprise? I'm I'm so obsessive compulsive that like I would, I'd have a real like physical reaction to not doing all of stopped. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think as, as as far as we can tell at this point, this is our job until until it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> until they stop making track. Uh, we talked last time about your history with TNG. Uh, what was your exposure to DS9 and Voyager before you started covering it? So I had I think Adam had watched some of DS9 here and there, and I'd watched all of it when it was on television, and then I fell off watching it on TV like mid-Voyager, but then went back and watched Voyager all the way through when uh, Netflix streaming started. And that was, you know, like Star Trek was one of the first things that was like, there were all of the seasons of all of the series on, on Netflix uh, for a long time. And yeah, and so eventually I was like, I just want to like, I want to get back into it. But it was like, it was in a binge mode like have it on while I'm doing stuff kind of way where I wasn't like watching it super carefully so Voyager uh as we have watched our way through uh the first three seasons now has been a very interesting experience for me because it's I, it is it's like watching a show for the first time in a lot of ways except for I do remember like some of the like weirdest stuff because it's just like I yeah. can't believe how weird <laughs> yeah. that was <laughs> you yeah. know yeah I was like vacuuming when the salamander uh, people <laughs> were revealed at the end of the yeah. Tom Paris goes past the warp threshold episode but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so the first time you saw that episode you were a child vacuuming this is the story oh, on the rewatch <laughs> of, on the... of how distracted you okay <laughs> I was like uh, I was like 28 and uh, like 
trying in vain to keep my Brooklyn apartment clean. Is your uh, lack of like history with the show, does it make it tougher to sort of uh, to riff on it, to like to find kind of uh, cracks in its armor? I man, I think that Voyager is such a return to form to TNG style storytelling that it, it yeah. really feels like a, a comfy pair of sweats in a lot of ways. Like I think it's it, it maybe plays to our strengths more than DS9 did in that way interesting okay yeah that was, ds9 was far more challenging to make funny uh during certain episodes specifically yeah. <laughs> and when we do boy do we hear about it <laughs> <laughs> how dare you make this serious thing fun <laughs> that's your mandate find the dick jokes push through yeah. it yeah, right exactly, exactly. Yeah. you've been doing this for a while since 2016 is that right that's right yeah God, yeah. really? Um, and you've been always you've always been upfront about the possible niche appeal of both Star Trek and your show, uh, even while mm-hmm. you've been very successful doing it. And one aspect of that niche appeal is like the bits and the inside jokes that you've created uh, and have brought with you as you cover new shows. And I'd imagine by the time that you have finished, uh, you've wrapped Enterprise. Anybody who tries to drop in at that point, oh, any new listeners, it'll be Greek confront to them. A whole new language of Star <laughs> Trek gags. Yeah. Yeah, you'll need uh, Mark Ockren to come in and develop a syntax for your uh, new language we might. Of, of gags. Yeah, I mean, I hope that like I hope that our forgetfulness is is <laughs> low key a strength of the show because we do ev- sure. eventually just like not remember why we would say something or that we should say it, and you know, and then we get it from you know a certain kind of listener that is like, why didn't you you know hit this drop at this moment? I was like, ah. <laughs> Man, I didn't. I didn't even remember that one existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be reading our own wiki before we record episodes. At that point, yeah, yeah. Do you plan on? Have you talked about covering TOS at all? Yeah, we've actually done a fair number of TOS episodes on uh, Greatest Discovery. You know, when oh, sure, Discovery sure. was first starting, they were drawing a lot on early TOS stuff, and. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the off season, when when they weren't releasing new episodes, we would uh, go back and and kind of do some do some excavations into early Trek lore to to figure out uh, how that stuff all related. And that's been a lot of fun. I think that um, I don't know. I'm guessing we probably have covered like ten TOS episodes between bonus episodes that are behind the paywall and uh, episodes that are in the main feed of Greatest Discovery, but. Um, yeah, I think uh, uh, there's a chance that at some point we'll decide to like make a serious run at just doing the whole series. Um, not really sure how to, how to do that since we've already covered some of the episodes, but uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll have to ask our producer when that is due to start, yeah. like on the calendar. We're going to be old men by uh-huh. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is far future mm-hmm. we're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. People's, people's response and their reactions to TOS, especially um, newer fans, always surprise me in how negative they often are. Um, you know, people call the show like racist and sexist. And I mean, any, any film or TV fan, you know, if you go back far enough, you're going to confront, you know, less progressive attitudes in entertainment. Yeah. And I, I think you go back original... five years and you run into that. Like things are an artifact of their times. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, what the original series was doing, I think, I think it was doing the best that it could at the time. I'd say any given episode of the Big Bang Theory is probably more problematic than a TOS episode. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think 
ourself not excluded. Like our own show has evolved over the years that we've made it in mm. terms of some of the things that we've said and how we've said them. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're no, we're no stranger to that sensibility. And learning as yeah. you go, is like if we, yeah. if we weren't learning as we went, then I don't think our show would be interesting. Like, right. like we'd either be so far ahead of the audience uh, in terms of how we present it that it wouldn't be uh, appealing or so far right. behind that we yeah. would just be yeah. like knuckle dragging racist that nobody should <laughs> listen to anyways, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I grew up, like you guys probably did watching uh, 1980s films, and it's like the things that they say and do in 1980s films, oh, you, know, yeah. you, just, you just can't do now. So, and for good reason. It's really but, amazing uh, the like the <laughs> the stuff that we we watched as kids that in retrospect is just like fascist propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's that's why I own all that stuff on physical media yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can hold on to Can't it. Can't cancel yeah. that. He, he always hides it when I come over to his house because I'm always proposing DVD burning sessions. <laughs> right. Uh, there, you know, there's a kind of um, a charming lameness about some of the characters on TNG and DS9, and it probably makes it easier to laugh at them in a good-natured way. But, like, the characters on the new Star Trek shows, you know, Discovery, Picard... A, they're super hot. They're all just like model hot. Yeah. And B, they do a lot of their own jokes. Like they do a lot of funny stuff. They do a lot of like, you know, can you believe this situation that we're in moments? Does it make it more difficult to roast some of the new shows on Greatest Discovery? I, man, I, um, yeah, I think that we definitely have a slightly different tone on Greatest Discovery. Mm -hmm. I think that the difficulty in roasting it may just be in the like density of the material as much as it is the tone or the or the sexiness of the material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. um like I have I think we both try to watch every new episode twice before we sit down to review it and mm -hmm. that's for me takes the form of watching it once, you know, leaning back in my chair trying to enjoy it as uh, as a first-run thing, and then a Vacuuming second time leaning forward with, with a notebook down. and trying to kind of make as many observations as I can there so that I have kind of a, a rough idea of what I'm going to talk about when, when we sit down to record. And mm -hmm. uh, the pages of notes that I generate for a episode of Star Trek Discovery are twice as long as the pages of notes I generate for an episode <laughs> of Voyager or DS9. Just because there's okay. like, I don't know what it is. It's the pacing. It's the it's how many you know layers of of action are in the compositions and the shots. It's so much more cinematic. It's so much more like visually and uh, uh, production wise, so much more ambitious. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's just so much more to talk about, and and so many more points of potential failure. I think that that's the other thing is like. Anytime Discovery is doing something that sucks, they're also doing ten things that are totally amazing. So yeah. it's like mm -hmm. it's hard to like know how much of it is like. I mean, I think it, the gestalt of the show is that it's 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 really good, but there's also like lots of things that go down in any individual episode that are like, come on, guys, give me a break. <laughs> we don't do like the Chris Farley show recap of Star Trek though either. Like when they when Star Trek attempts comedy, it isn't just a wasn't that a funny thing Alice and Pill did. I think we're really interested in why things work or don't work and and comedy on Star Trek especially has been something that it hasn't always been good at. So, uh on 
past versions of Star Trek, we have been quick to, you know, describe why those moments fail just as just as easily as we do call out why things are working on new Star Trek. And like Alison Pill is a great example of that. Like what she's doing on Picard, I think, works in a way that comedy has not routinely worked over the years on Star Trek. Yeah. That's something that we've been exploring on on my show a lot recently is, you know, my belief that Star Trek Four aside, uh, that Trek isn't usually all that funny. And it's fine mm-hmm. for it to not be funny. It's just that it I think that it often thinks it's being really funny. And I think the charming lameness that I mentioned is is kind of the closest that it uh, gets. Um, at its There's best, nothing it's like, less funny than something thinking it's funny. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Um, I know this. <laughs> yeah, personally. Expert, yeah, of course. <laughs> I think that it's, at the best, it's like whimsical. Um, but when it takes its, mm-hmm. and I, you know, swing it out and out comedy, I don't, don't think that it really hits. You know, and it's possible that, like you guys mentioned with DS9, there's often so much at stake in a Trek story. I think it's... You know, there's such serious topics being discussed. It's not always appropriate to try and be funny. Um, sure. Other other than just like jamming some Neelix bits, you know, in the cracks or, or whatever you can get away with. Uh, one of my favorite uh, Luxana Troy episodes, a character who, speaking of uh, not always funny as the people the writing her think she is, is uh, Half a Life, you know, where her boyfriend uh, has to report to the suicide booth. And suddenly that like goofy character gets really kind of poignant and serious. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, her her turn in that episode pulls her like I, I, in many ways that kind of redeemed that character for me. Um, you know, like I kind of always felt like they were writing her as a, can you believe how annoying this character is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that was like the, the, the premise of the episode almost. And, and yeah. as a, I mean, as a kid, especially I was like, yes, she's fucking annoying. Don't put her on the episode. <laughs> yes, so right, so annoying. Yes. On our on our rewatch, I really came around on Locks on a Troy, and I think that that episode had a lot to do with it. Like the, yeah, like oh yeah, like like people are annoying, and sometimes like that's the case. But also, um, this person is uh, is a fully dimensionalized character and uh, has like real feelings about uh, the things that are happening to her in her life, and um, those are big, juicy points of melodrama to you know to balance out the the silliness of the character yeah it's it's really like it's extremely confident for a show to have done that like i'm still waiting for neelix's dark page moment for me (laughs) when i can finally get on board with neelix as as a character that i don't laugh at constantly He's he's got those moments too i was just going to mention that neelix you know worked a lot better for me once he learned that uh that there is no God, you know, <laughs> that he, yeah. uh, Hey, spoilers, his, uh... spoilers. Oh, sorry. You guys haven't got there yet. So, okay. All right. Uh, maybe there's a God, but yeah. Uh... There is no second lung. That's all we know yeah. about him. <laughs> the okay. most yeah. important thing to keep in mind. Neelix. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, another thing I, I think that gets in the way of uh, Trek comedy is that, you know, it, it's a comedy about context a lot of the time mm-hmm. and having like the super evolved humans in the 24th century who have no real pop culture, touchstones you know there's nothing that we can share with them yeah means it's more difficult to find humor there's no like andorians drive like this you know jokes or, or anything like that mm-hmm. and some of the best stuff that we do get is like it comes from the clashing cultures that you get when our heroes are time traveling uh to cultures familiar to us you know to times familiar to us um stuff like the big goodbye and tng 
or, uh, you know, Voyager, uh, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but, you know, running into Sarah Silverman and Ed, Ed Beckley Jr. Yeah. Uh, in the 90s, uh, fish out of water stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's something that they're not doing so much on Star Trek Picard this season, interestingly. The, like, yeah. They're in a time period very close to our own and are not, they're not playing the comedy of that as hard as as many of the other times uh star trek has ventured into into more contemporary time periods yeah yeah ice isn't very funny it turns out (laughs) (laughs) it's weird because i've been trying to track you know what they're kind of armchair quarterback what they're doing and you're right like they you know initially made their kind of um star trek four slash uh, past tense DS9 kind of riffs. Uh, and then they've kind of gone off and done their own thing. And almost every episode has been like another genre or another kind of angle at this uh, at this back in time story that they're telling. Because um, yeah. it seemed like it was going to be a big social commentary thing. And then we had the big like a horror movie almost, uh, you know, last week. And so I think they're really kind of cycling through um, a lot of different kind of takes on what they're doing, while also, you know, obviously you get the punk on the bus, and that we've got all the references that we that we want and expect. Yeah, it's a yeah. The, the The word on the street is that it was a really tough shoot. A lot of reshoots, a lot of uh, you know challenges with you know shooting during a global pandemic, and yeah. a lot of rewrites and and disputes over you know where the script needed to go and stuff. And Hmm. it's really kind of like, I think that you can see the evidence of that primarily in how many times there is dialogue that is like a character facing away from the camera and you don't see their lips moving. (laughs) And we got to get that. Yeah. yeah, And it seems like it's maybe like looped in or something, but like, other than that, like, I think that so far it has the ventriloquist C story is a, is an example of that too. The ventriloquist C story. Oh Yeah. (laughs) Is kind of shoehorned in yeah, there. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't ever expect Jeff that was Dunham to be yeah. a character <laughs> totally, in Star totally Trek Picard. <laughs> uh, Lower Decks is uh, is a comedy show. It's made a lot of uh, hay out of uh, pointing out the absurdities in Trek. Do you see Lower Decks as a kindred spirit to what you do on Greatest Gen? Absolutely. Yeah. And and when you talk about uh, when you asked earlier about how difficult it is to do a comedy show about comedic moments in star trek i mean there it sits right (laughs) like that's that's an entire couple of seasons of just that and i approached that project with some nerves like could we do could we do a funny show about a funny thing and we've done a couple (laughs) of seasons about lower decks in and i think we've made some good shows about it i love lower decks i think it's Mm. maybe my new my favorite new star trek show yeah one of the things I really like about it is I, I like uh, some of the original takes, and I like what they're um, they're sort of adding to the canon of the of the universe. But I also mm-hmm. like that not all the jokes have to be like super original. Like as mm-hmm. you guys have proven, like there are jokes that we all have kind of told about these episodes yeah. and these movies over years and years, and it's good to just see them be kind of canonized yeah. by <laughs> an official Star right. Trek thing. Going, yep, that's the joke. That's it. Yeah. Right, but bar trivia isn't a show, and what makes Lower Decks really good is that like they've developed really interesting and fun characters around yeah. those yeah. elements, and yeah. it really works. Yeah, I think. Um, I think most people's impression of uh, the post DS9 series Voyager Enterprise is that they're not 
consistently as good as the earlier shows. And often on the show, when you guys run up against a particularly bad hour of Star Trek, you choose to drink your way through it. Have you been <laughs> drinking more while covering Voyager? We aren't intentional about drinking for specific episodes. Mm-hmm. I want to be clear. Like that's that's pretty much a luck of the draw yeah. okay. condition for our for our show. Okay. We have a uh, we have a mechanic in the show where at the end of uh, every episode we we have a board game that is custom for our show that determines determines with some degree of randomness what our next like if if there will be any twist on our next episode. So the one. Uh, I don't know when when this episode is coming out, but the episode we released today, Adam and I both had to record from a bathtub. So Adam <laughs> okay. Adam set up a laptop next to his bathtub, and I set up a laptop next to my bathtub, and we recorded it. And unfortunately, our producer edited it. And we released it. The episode that in question has nothing to do with being wet or being in a bath. It's no just, water, just in a tub. It's just how it's yeah. just. How the board okay. game unfolded for us, and I think we had to do that twice in season three of Voyager already. So, okay, that, all right. Uh, the The board game has really been uh, has really been haunted of late. <laughs> but I think some of the lesser episodes are are opportunities for us to have the most fun. Like there are some episodes in season three of Voyager that many of our viewers don't remember watching the first time through. And then when they do with us, they're like, I can't believe the Darkling was an episode. Right. And yeah, I can't yeah. believe it was that bad. But yeah. it was it was really fun to uh, to watch that with us. So those are good chances for us to come up with new bits or or have some laughs. Well, your current tour is about Star Trek Four, aka the one with the whales, aka the funny one. Uh, why was it time to cover Star Trek Four? Because the last tour we did, we toured Star Trek Three. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the but cruelest. That's, that's been how we've done the it. The cruelest thing about this tour has been that we've like booked it and rebooked it a whole bunch of times, just because yeah. we, you know, thought things were opening up and then they weren't, and then, you know, we 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 didn't want to do it in a way that we wouldn't be confident it was reasonably safe for the folks coming and for us mm-hmm. um you know we don't want it to be uh the greatest generation super spreader tour 2022 yeah um but uh this sure was supposed to kick off in uh in january in san francisco which would have been perfect because the movie yeah. is set in san francisco and we were really looking forward to that and then the uh omicron wave kind of caused uh the whole thing to be shifted back uh by a few months and i think that the 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 ideas we had for how to how to do the tour have developed a lot fortunately and that the show is probably funnier for it like getting giving ourselves a little more time to to chew on it and think about it has been has been good for the tour but uh but we're really sad that we didn't get to start in san francisco and we do have right. we're gonna do that show but it's gonna be in february next year so it's like okay okay it's we also didn't get to end our last tour in the way we wanted to either we still had dates on the books for mm. our tour about star trek 3 that we weren't able to get to yeah so. just get, what was your uh, consensus for uh star trek 3 like did you guys like it good where does it fall for you it's a great <laughs> fan a a plus i mean it's like it's it's definitely it definitely feels like a like 
you know, I think after Wrath of Khan, it's hard to top that. But it also, yeah. it just yeah. feels like almost like a stage play, like how much of the episode is just set on that like fake set of the Genesis planet and yeah. just kind of like going from area to area on that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot to like about the movie, but it's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, stealing the Enterprise is is like one of the best sequences in all of the movies. I thought, like, if if nothing else, it gave us that. Yeah, absolutely. It also gave us Kirk missing the seat, which I think is one of Shatner's best acting moments of the whole run. Yeah. Like, I think there's some real high points in that film yeah. that we we could appreciate. Yeah. We talked about it on on my show recently, and like the consensus was that. Um, you know, there's the odd Star Trek numbered film curse and that it's maybe unfairly lumped in. But I think once you start pulling at that thread, there's an argument that TMP is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Star Trek V is like an amazing disaster, even though it is a disaster. Yeah. Um, but what I liked or what I learned about Star Trek Three is that like how much of what we would later see in TNG and just all of Star Trek going forward, like came from that film, you know, mm-hmm. new ship designs and the redesign of yeah. the Klingons. And yeah. yeah. So it's like kind of the kernel of a lot of what you guys are talking about now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a re-release of uh, Star Trek, the motion picture coming mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Pretty exciting. The original series, uh, we were talking about Picard before going back in time. And of course, the original series kind of started that for our characters, uh, future astronauts going back to the present day and every Star Trek, series i think has done that in some way um except for discovery which went forward in time right um Mm -hmm. other than the fact that it's fun to have our characters wonder uh what exact change means uh why do you think that trek keeps delving into the past hitting that beat i mean i think star trek was self-consciously a criticism of the present and a and a, a bunch of uh you know pinkos in hollywood (laughs) <laughs> prevailing on humanity to try to do better and yeah, yeah. you know they were as uh, as you've observed a little bit tone deaf in their day relative to you know what uh what we might expect of such people now but i think it's always um an interesting uh i mean it, like even the episodes that are set in the future are about the present in one way or another and um you know, that's just the, that's like a truism about speculative fiction in general. But I think when, mm-hmm. uh, when the series started, like Kirk often beamed down to planets and said, like, it's dumb that you guys are being racist to each other or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. Kirk, Kirk's whole thing was just kind of like criticizing, like the central thing about every society he encountered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it was just, uh, it, they were metaphors for, things in our own society and star trek is you know a way to make little morality plays from a leftist viewpoint um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before it is almost anything else so uh sending the characters to our time period is uh i think something that is just inevitable uh on a long enough number of episode productions (laughs) I think one other observation we've made quite often on our shows has been that Star Trek is the most economically made science fiction program (laughs) over the years. And I'm going to set aside like modern CBS produced Star Trek, uh, which doesn't qualify. But 
uh, if you've got like standing sets of an old West scene or or San Francisco what, right. or New York yeah. or whatever, like you can shoot there and make it look plausible. Yeah. And I think, given the budgets that a lot of our classic series had, uh, I think I think it's a little bit of line producer wagging the story tale, maybe yeah. a little bit. You know, like what can you what can you pay for? What kind of stories can we afford to tell? Right. Yeah. Or what do we want to tell just in terms yeah. of the uh, the environmental message, you know, about yeah. uh, the whales. And then, of course, um, you know, Nicholas Meyer, who already made a movie in San Francisco, you know, writing the script. And it's like, what the hell? It's just set in San Francisco. Um, Picard, uh, as we've talked about, is um, presenting um, kind of going after some of these timely topics. I mean, certainly in the case of like, you know, them punching out ICE officers um, in 1986, like. Activism was a little more abstract, like to our current sensibilities. I don't know how many people are familiar with the slogan, Save the Whales, and the kind of like general progressive concern of the 80s. Um, but I think the environmental message of the voyage home became a lot more relevant to the to the kind of climate crisis that we are facing today. Um, focused, you know, save the humans is, is, is kind of uh, is kind of the problem here. Uh, screw the whales. And it kind of feels like a rare win too, doesn't it? Like the whales were saved. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not entirely, but like the, the program worked. Yeah. It's not a thing where Picard has to be like, oh, that's a, that's a sad end. And they, they kind of right. fly off. Yeah. 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 Um, in the eighties, you could have a save the whales bumper sticker or listen to we are the world and you could feel like you're doing your part. But do you think that like it's Trek's responsibility to up the intensity of its commentary on our contemporary social ills? I, I personally feel like the commentary is best suited when it's the most subtle and I reflexively desire for it to be something that a person discovers Okay. While while consuming Star Trek instead of an over and over again refrain mm -hmm. with very specific dialogue, I just feel I mean, I'm in the choir that this show speaks to, so maybe <laughs> my my perspective doesn't matter in that case, but I think I think characters become more interesting when they're more nuanced and when you hear exactly how they feel about a certain thing, they lose that interest to me. And I wonder if that's the case for other people as well. Like, I want to see their actions betray those feelings in a way that I can discover as I watch instead of, like, being told. That's I think that's my position. I'm not saying I disagree with the positions the shows take at all because I agree with them. But yeah, that's where I'm at. What about you, Ben? I mean, I, yeah, like, I, I, uh, I, as someone who doesn't... Uh, see the like i like I, as a as a person who is a member of a choir i feel like it you know is we hear about this choir getting preached to a lot more than it actually does in my experience like i do kind of just love love to see them you know stomping the dicks of ice officers in <laughs> star trek Picard. like i'm all for that uh yeah uh, I would like more media to stomp the dicks of ice officers. I'm all, I just, you know, I, I love it. I love to see it. <laughs> uh, I think there, you have a tab open on your computer now. That's just ice officers, dicks getting yeah. stomped. If, uh, if I could tune into like a, a WWE and there would be a heel character that's dressed like an ice officer getting thrown <laughs> off the top rope, uh, into a folding table, I would watch more wrestling. <laughs> like all of that stuff is good in my book. Um, 
And I think that, I mean, yeah, like I think that there is, um, you know, when when shows get didactic, they probably get less effective at uh, advancing a message. But to the extent that any actual political change comes from people watching TV shows, um, yeah, that's I'm fair. not sure that that's like really Star Trek's job. Um, even, yeah. even if it's set out to be a thing that does that. And, you know, weirdly, um, it's been in so many different people's hands at this point. Like it's, it is a big media franchise owned by a huge global mega conglomerate. And, yeah, they hire people who are good at selling tickets to movies and getting butts and seats to make it. And they are not hiring for political viewpoint. Like, so, yeah. so I'm not surprised that a lot of the newer shows, I'm not surprised when a lot of the newer shows don't necessarily hew to the Roddenberry uh, ideal of, of what Star Trek is going to be. Like, I don't think that's surprising at all. Um, I like Star Trek for more reasons than just its political underpinnings, and mm-hmm. um, but uh, but I am gratified when it uh, does, um, you know, take the time to have it have those opinions. So I don't know, like I sexually gratified when an ICE officer gets like falls on a fence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All of that, please. <laughs> I was thinking about the fact that I think that Star Trek is the only like allegorical thing that I consume. Like I don't, you know, I'm not reading a lot of Jonathan Swift or, or C.S. Lewis or something like that. Um, I did just enjoy uh, the finale of The Expanse. And I think that The Expanse is a little more subtle about its commentary on, you know, our modern world, but yeah. it's still there. But it's also but I think so about... grim. Like, like that's the thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I can't handle how bummery the expanse is sometimes. Like I'm, I, I like the expanse a lot and I think that there's a lot that's really great about it. And, um, I'm not done with this current season yet. And, okay. and partly just because like I, I get done with an episode. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, take a break. Yeah. It's, it is as upsetting and like discouraging as just like walking around outside and hearing what's going on in the news, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is such a pessimistic view of like human humanity's future in a way that Star Trek yeah. is the opposite of. It's Trek without the optimism. Yeah. That gets you through. Um, this is uh, well, start back to Star Trek four. Uh, it's the funny Star Trek movie, but it really, it really is funny. It's got a great script. Uh, the ensemble is great. I love the fact that, you know, all the other people besides Kirk and Spock and bones get to really open up in this film and send up their characters a little bit. Um, we kind of talked about this before, but did you find it tough to find your own jokes in a movie that is actually funny? <laughs> uh, you know, I think we did like like uh, Lower Decks bring some trepidation to thinking about what the what the tour was going to be like. And um, I was telling Adam like the night uh, of our first show, like I. We, you know, we all we always bring like video clips on our on our tours, and mm-hmm. we, yeah. you know, we like we make little 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 subtle edits to the movies that uh, you know, what if it was like <laughs> this or whatever, and uh, and do some uh, and 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 also just show some clips like they're like when we toured Star Trek Three, we just showed the destruction of the Enterprise because it is such an amazing special effects sequence mm-hmm. that 
yeah. is worth looking at as many opportunities as you have. Uh, yeah. And we um, we had made a bunch, you know, our all of our video clips for this show, and there was like one in there that Adam had sent to me like right before we left, and I was like, God damn it, that is the only funny one. The the one that Adam made is super funny, and all of the <laughs> other ones that I made are not funny. <laughs> and, but that's the feeling before we we do a live show. Like we've always had that feeling. Like we bench test the show and we're like, well, this is funny to us. And that's the spirit we've taken into every podcast episode that we do. It's like, well, this works for us. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> it works for other people. And just in this case, it's so much fun to to get that immediate feedback that it's working for other people. Yeah. And every video clip that Ben made for the live show. <laughs> hits it hits hard they all work they work i don't know why they work uh, <laughs> yeah i mean it's like it's a it's its own thing the live show like we have friends that have come to see it that have never seen the movie that are like i don't know what that was but <laughs> yeah. i thought it was really funny <laughs> okay well that's that's a seal of approval then I yeah guess. <laughs> uh as filmmakers what do you think of nimoy's work on Four and I guess three, uh, as by extension. Oh, I think it's great. I mean, I think like yeah. four is like probably the most weird, weird and artistic Star Trek movie after after one. Right. You know, like yeah. one taking the taking the prize for the most experimental weirdo <laughs> studio yeah. feature film of all time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, prob- yeah, possibly. <laughs> but uh, I think we'd all struggle with with giving a visual to what time travel looks like yeah and (laughs) nimoy was given that challenge yeah boy did he do something (laughs) yeah yeah i love the big heads uh throwing the dummy in the water or whatever that part is uh maybe not quite as successful but yeah it's a striking striking image yeah uh the whale puppets are incredible i thought like i've watched this movie my entire life and it wasn't until i watched the special features that i'm like Oh crap! Those okay. They made like scale whale puppets for yeah. that. That's how they did that. Yeah, really, really impressive. And uh, the, I the same. I I didn't know that those weren't real whales. <laughs> they look real, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's ILM too. I mean, maybe ILM still has like a closet that is like the practical, you know, oh, effect yeah. uh, model department. But of course, it'd all be computers now. But back then, they just did. They did everything. Yeah. ILM rarely makes a thing that they don't blow up on screen either. So I'm just <laughs> yeah, waiting exactly. for those whales, blow up the whales. <laughs> to blow up. I Something that occurred to me while watching the film recently is that our crew, and I guess by extension, everybody in the 23rd century learns that whales are like essentially sentient, like they're more or less self-aware. And Kirk and company are pretty chill about that. And mm-hmm. they go back to the future and we're, con- we're concerned about the result of Kirk's trial but nobody's talking about like adding a, a whale delegate to the council, you know, to go with uh, Blue Guy and Catman and, and everybody else. Like, this is kind of like a, a huge deal yeah. that whales are like alive. Would you like to one day work aboard a starship? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Be given yeah. a rank and so forth? That's where Cetacean Ops comes Cetacean from. Cetacean Ops right? comes right out of that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just an issue of how complicated it is. I mean, it would be like the scene in Dune, right? You'd have to bring the whale in and the huge tank, and there would be guys in crazy fetish gear, like, mopping up after it. (laughs) 
you know, it just seems like uh, seems like more trouble than it's worth. And uh, Jillian, you know, from the 20th century perspective, you know, of her co-workers, she just flipped out, attacked her boss, quit and just drove off in her crappy pickup and just disappeared. Like they must still tell stories yeah. about mad Jillian at the Cetacean Institute. <laughs> I mean, we see her life. She had every reason to leave. There's no reason for her to stay. <laughs> she has no one. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's a sad little short story in there that we didn't get to see. Uh, yeah. Do you, you guys talked about a lot of the films now? Like, do you have a favorite Trek film uh, personally? Five. It's five. <laughs> Come on, they kill the they kill God. Spock kills yeah, okay. God with a starship. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it's cool. No films ever dethroned six for me. There are there are films I feel like are as good as six, but six has always been a favorite. Yeah. Ben came when I lived in Seattle. Ben came up to watch Star Trek Six in seventy millimeter at the oh. big awesome movie theater we used to have up there, and it was great experience. Yeah, six is six is totally amazing. Um, yeah, we're um, I don't know. It's like picking your favorite child. You know how can you do it? Yeah. Love them all. Yeah. You love them all in different. I'm not going to have kids, but I feel like I could do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, six is fantastic, and six is like such a success because it's like. You know, you've got like two is an amazing success and people didn't really expect a lot. Six is this is it. This is the farewell. Like, how do you stick the landing? And they they stick the landing. You know, it's a great six has got the best score. I think the score counts Mm -hmm. for a lot. Mm -hmm. That film score just slaps. Yeah, it is great. We might get a new Star Trek four. Speaking of Star Trek four, there might be another Star Trek four if they can pull it together. And in the past, Ben, if Denis if Denis Villeneuve directs that one, maybe we'll get the weird whale mop guys. <laughs> with the, yeah. fetish, the fetish gear. That would be yeah, great. Yeah. Villeneuve is busy, and I want him to focus on making Dune two All and right. Dune three. Yeah, get that, get the second half of your film out, and then we'll talk. Yeah. Uh, the Kelvin films have looked to the TOS films for inspiration. Do you think that we could see a comedic Star Trek four from the Kelvin films? It's possible. I mean, I I was telling Adam, I watched the, um, uh, I think it's Robert Orsai and uh, Alex Kurtzman have a commentary track on the, uh, yeah. the Star Trek yeah. Four, And I watched it and like, they are so enraptured by the fact that Star Trek Four doesn't have a villain per se. It doesn't have action sequences aside from like Chekhov jumping over some, uh, some crates <laughs> on the ship, on the yeah. deck of a ship. Right. Uh, the only gun that's fired is fired at a door handle to seal a doctor and his operations team in there, um, and and they're they're you know praising it up and down for that, and then uh, making movies that are like the opposite of that. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's yeah. it's kind of uh, it's interesting that I I think that there are a lot of people working on Star Trek that are wistful for what Star Trek was and a little bit discouraged by the kind of economic demands of modern of the modern movie business, which is you make big, flashy blockbuster action movies that are mm-hmm. extremely squeaky clean in terms of their like sexual politics and mm-hmm. uh, don't show any blood and that way you can sell them in as many international markets as possible. And yeah. as long as you can like capture, you know, all of the, you know, if if you don't get to sell the movie in China, you're screwed. You're never going to make your money back because it costs $300 <laughs> yeah. million dollars to make a movie and you need to make a billion dollars to justify the risk of that on yeah. most movies you make. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I, um, uh, when we first started this project, I was uh, working at another company and had an opportunity to interview 
Zachary Quinto about Star Trek Beyond and um like he was like look, look dude like this is this is the film business that we live in like <laughs> yeah. these are the kind of movies you have to make to make money and you know they're the the age of taking a big swing on a on a like and Star Trek 4 is is kind of part of the same story in a lot of ways like Star Trek 4 was just a hey Back to the Future did great. Let's make a let's make our Back to the Future. We'll make a bunch of money if we do exactly that. And the fact that it is successful is more impressive in uh, in a lot of ways since they were trying to capitalize on the success of a different movie. Like usually that fails, but mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in this weird case, it succeeded. Yeah, yeah. I think whether or not they they go in that direction is just about will. I mean, they certainly have the cast to do it when you've. I mean, John Cho and Chris Pine can act comic comically. Like yeah. Chris Pine's work in the Wonder Women are like is really really funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. And John Cho obviously has a has a good comedy background too. So like those are just two examples within that cast. I think they could do any kind of genre bending that they want mm-hmm. in films coming up. But it's just a matter of whether or not they want to do it in the way that Ben described it is so apt. Like. Every tentpole film, Star Trek or otherwise, needs to have the stakes existential and the budget existential <laughs> in order to be green lit. So I, I doubt our chances of, of getting like an actual comedy genre Star Trek film, but it would be nice if we got a little more into it because I thought After Darkness might have been just a little too dark or into darkness, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other side of that coin uh, for Star Trek Four would be the social commentary, and mm-hmm. the Kelvin films have mostly shied away from a social commentary, I think, as well. Um, I guess, start, speaking of darkness, Star Trek Beyond was kind of like a Heart of Darkness riff, kind of a little bit. So what do you think the Save the Whales portion of the new Star Trek Four might be? Oh, man, it's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> the other thing I learned in prepping this tour was that they didn't have whales as the idea when they started writing the script. Like they had, oh, we have to go back and get a flower that has a compound that is needed in a, or what, you know, like it was like a disease for a little while that they were trying Mm. to solve. Like Mm. the, like they knew that they wanted it to be a thing about how we're destroying our ecosphere and we need to get that under control so that we don't, you know, look back in the future with regret. Uh, but like hitting on it being a charismatic megafauna like whales w- was <laughs> like a late breaking development in, in yeah. beating that script into shape. And so. Do you think Wally took that idea given what they do with the plant in that movie? Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, like Wally is a great example of another movie that kind of like takes our present. Just uh, you know, insane <laughs> hurdle toward the brink of of yeah. e- e- ecosphere collapse and makes great comedy out of it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not subtle at all, but it really works. Yeah, and yeah. so so I think that to speculate on like what a writer's room would come up with that would be good is really hard to do in a just kind of knee jerk way because I think mm-hmm. that like Star Trek Four and and Wally are both examples of scripts that like changed a ton in the 
in as they worked through like what those movies were going to be to yeah. to mm-hmm. find a good a good way of approaching a a topic that is a bummer. <laughs> yeah. And Star Trek V is, you know, a commentary on, I guess, religion and belief. Um, there is a small portion of it that is like, you know, the Paradise Planet, which is, I, I guess, a criticism of uh, the current then peace process or just the idea of uh, gestures that countries make, you know, uh, d- heading towards peace but not really committing to them. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that fits in between the, the explosions and the, and the Beastie Boys, but uh, maybe they can make it work. They'll figure something out. I'm sure we'll have some problematic peace process <laughs> to <laughs> yeah, criticize. Yeah. Or the Romulans are mining Bitcoin or, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm just glad we're talking about the potential for more Star Trek. I mean, let's not forget we were we were out in the desert for a long That's time. That's true. That's true. Without anything new to talk about. So I think it's fun that we we have these possibilities. It was very and they're, it was and they're very close. Dry. Yep, there's always possibilities. Well, uh, you're on the Double Dumbass Tour. You've got dates out till May, I believe, of this year. Where can people go if they want to find you guys and find out more about the tour online? So greatestgentour.com is where you can get tickets to our shows. Tour. And if uh, if you want to listen to the show, you can go to gach.biz, <laughs> uh, which is spelled G-A-G-H dot B-I-Z. And people can get to Greatest Generation and Greatest Discovery there. Yes. And uh, that's, right. that's all through MaximumFun.org, which is our podcast network. Right. That we're awesome. On. So, yeah. Or just look in whatever podcast app you're listening to this in. Well, Adam and Ben, thanks again for talking with me. Uh, thanks for having thanks, us. Thanks, Aaron. It was really great to talk to you again, Aaron. Yeah, you too. And I remembered that we talked to you before. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll remember this time. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> Backtracking is back for an all-new season. Hi, I'm Caliban. And I'm Gooey Fame. And we'd like to introduce you to Backtracking, the podcast that explores the real-world inspirations behind your favorite episodes of Star Trek. From historical events to classical literature to blockbuster films, we go where no pod has gone before to seek out the origins of classic Trek tales. Did you know, Gooey, that the TNG episode Too Short a Season was an allegory for the Iran-Contra affair? Yeah, only sweatier. Did you know that the Enterprise episode Regeneration was an homage to the John Carpenter film The Thing? Archer and T'Pol freezing to death over a bottle of whiskey would have been a controversial ending. As a dog lover, Archer would not like The Thing, I'm guessing. Oh my god, movie night is cancelled. Join us every other Thursday for a journey back to the beginnings of the Trek universe. Backtracking is available wherever you get your podcasts. No, Porthos! Porthos!